Well, there'll be three short talks today. One on a man with substance and gravitas. One on fraternity of brotherhood and one on mission. And today I want to offer you guys just the beginning. The start of a conversation around a man with gravity, with substance, a man of gravitas. But when I noticed that my son-in-law was in the room, I've changed the talk to letters to Logan. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I will look at you the whole time that I'm talking. (laughs) I have a great son-in-law. 2023 for me marks the year that I will turn 50 years old. Thanks, the three of you. (laughs) This, like every decade that you come up to, uh, not really your late teens and your 20s, you're not really thinking about it, but when you hit your late 20s, you start thinking about your 30s, and when you hit your late 30s, you start thinking about your 40s, and this is happening to me again, this deep reflection of my life, thinking about my, my childhood and when God saved me, my two careers in various ministries, my marriages, I'm on my second one. And that shows just that I've got a, a story of, of pain and, and loss. Reflect a lot on the death of my sister almost 20 years ago. My children, who three are grown, two are out of the house, one is still in the house. Adult children are far more difficult to spank than a four-year-old. <laughs> I reflect back going into my 50s, hoping for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however, whatever God gives me. And I think back on all the moments that I chose shallow over deep. In my 20s, It was really beautiful. I was a lucky guy in my 20s. Lucky, I don't know if that's the right word. God's grace was there. I was married young. I was having kids. I was finishing college. I was, God was gracing me with ministry. And uh, I was, I got to travel the world playing music. There was so much grace in my 20s. And by the time I hit late 20s, I had um, lost my sister. I had been beginning to raise kids generally by myself, at least for a time. And there was something that happened in my 30s that froze my maturity. Although I kept doing kind of the right things, there was something that froze me in that decade. Because I took on the identity as a victim, and I took on the identity as a cynic. And I remember somewhere in my mid to late 50s, I started praying, hey God, I'm barely hanging on to the truth of your cross and your resurrection, and I need a revival there. And that was almost literally my prayer. I needed a revival of the cross and resurrection because I literally, because of what was happening in my life at the time, I felt Insane, and I don't, I'm not using that as a hyperbolic phrase. There was a moment I was walking into my office and I had disappeared into the imagination of my mind and I was cursing the people that had brought me pain. 
And I'm not just talking about, dang you. I'm talking about I was letting them have it. And I'm walking into my office, and I kind of come out of that imagination, and I look up, and there was a couple people next to my office that had watched me do that all on the outside, where I thought I had disappeared inside. They were watching me on the outside. I had broken down to a place that I was losing myself. Long story short, and it's not what I'm talking about today, but that afternoon I walked into a a communion service at the Episcopal Church down the street, and I took communion, and I said, Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And everything inside of me just realigned that moment. And that was a marked moment where something turned inside of me. So brothers, fathers in the room, Sons and friends, I want you to hear this word that is alive from 1 Corinthians. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We are being invited, just like I was re-invited in my late 30s, into a life of godly masculinity, a life of gravitas, a life that has weight to it. And each of us in this room are being called from whatever shallow area you're in to a deeper life lived passionately and godwardly, lived for and under the gravity and gloriousness of God and away from a life of weightlessness that only points to itself. That's really important right now. And I'll come back to it. But I want you guys to pause and just think, where does your life only point to itself? The life of gravitas is weight. It's a force that pulls. It actually offers life to our families, friends, church, the world. When we become men of presence, willing to lift and bear the weight for the good of others, we become men of gravity. It comes from integrating deep, rich values, becoming a man of presence that deepens himself in God, word, brothers, and character. Gravity puts things into proper place and order. If gravity on this earth were to disappear, everything would float up. To be men of gravity pulls things back in to place and order. And the greatest of all gravitational forces is the person of Jesus. The glory of God is a weight that blesses, doesn't smash, it blesses. It brings protection and provision to the people around us. That's something we all want. So even now, as Josh mentioned earlier, you know, I know that there's There's old tapes going on in your head, like, well, I did this wrong, and I did this wrong. I have a lot of regrets, too. There's a phrase that rolls around in a lot of men's heads that says, I'm not enough. I can't do this. And so we try to start to disappear in the midst of that. So how do we give up these childish ways and grow in gravitas? How do we go deeper? I just want to offer you guys and Logan. I'm glad you're laughing. 
I want to offer you guys five ways in which God really invited me from the shallow to the deep to walk in a gravity that pulls us toward Jesus and points to the glory of God. There's probably a hundred of these ways that God invites us, but I wanted to kind of share with you guys the five markers of my last 12 years that woke me up and gave me some weight that I'm still going to grow in over and over. The first one is laying down your victim identity and learning how to suffer nobly. Hey, guys, there's real victims in this room, people that have suffered. I understand that. I feel like I have been a victim in my life. I feel like I've suffered. Places where you've been abused and betrayed, cast aside. But I'm not talking today about the harsh reasons and ways that we've been stolen from. Those are real. I'm talking about how we use them as excuses to not deepen. The ways that they freeze our maturity. The ways that those things froze my maturity in my 30s. We live in a victim culture. It is what we are swimming in right now, where everyone but us is the problem. The victim mentality, here's what it does. It gets you offended to the point that you have to reject reality. When you victimize yourself because everyone else is the problem, you have to create a false reality so you can exist, and your whole identity begins to change. Your story is the problem. Your job is the problem. Your location here in Oklahoma City is the problem. Your education is the problem. Your wife is the problem. Your lack of wife is a problem. The problem is not always outside of us, guys. We need to take some responsibility and look at ourselves first. This gives a man weight. Jesus lived in a way that all the mockery Sadness, rejection, betrayal, all the things that happened to him. He did not victimize himself. He pointed himself to God. Living as a victim steals your gravity. Briefly, Isaiah 53, he was despised, he was rejected, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He had a lot of reasons to victimize himself, but he chose to suffer nobly And this gravity, this gravitas grows inside of us when we learn to suffer nobly, not as victims, but we still lay our lives down. We still give our lives away. In the midst of hurting, in the midst of suffering, we don't turn inward. We still bear each other's burdens. Noble suffering doesn't avoid the suffering, but it uses it to bless. It uses it to bring glory to God. Suffering nobly is overcoming the places where we truly are victims, Carrying it inside of our story, but living a life that's bowed down to the Father's will. Jesus laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. When we bow to the Father's will in the midst of suffering, this is noble suffering. When we begin to receive God's sovereignty and his plan and his work inside of us, it changes that suffering to men who are being broken in God so that they have something to offer to the world. Let me read briefly Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord is. He holds my lot. 
The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, often I've tried to pray that, and there's times where I'm like, man, God, thank you for my life. The lines are in such pleasant places today. This is so good. But the day that I, pr- I pray that, God, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places when I feel the suffering and losses of my family and brokenness, the way that I feel my choices break into the current now, can I pray that then? The lines have fallen for me in, in pleasant places. Because if we believe that God is sovereign, that he's overseeing the world, he's overseeing the way that life takes place down here, but he's also intimate and that he knows me, he's putting things together. If those two things are true, his sovereignty and his intimacy, then every single day, no matter what, I can say, man, the lines have fallen in pleasant places, God. Thank you for my story. I'm so sorry for the ways in which I failed and broke things and the consequences that I live in, but God, thank you that you hold my story in your hand. The second way in that God has broken into my life to give me some weight, some gravity, some gravitas, is to learn to offer faithful wounds driven by love. To be a man of gravity invites us to faithfully wound and restore brothers and friends because we fear God over man. For me to grow here, I had to lay my identity down as a nice guy and learn to be driven by love and kindness. Learning that love isn't just a good feeling and a romantic thing and we're all just all good, but that love can be corrective and wounding at the same time to the people that are closest to you. I know that all of you aren't nice guys. I know that some of you guys are like, no problem, not nice. (laughs) But there are some of us in here that we use being nice as a way to fit in or get what we want. We're aiming for a world without problems, which is impossible. And that niceness is stealing our gravity. We need to fear God above man and to be driven by God's love with truth to offer wounds and restore. The moment that we start rejecting the wounds that are offered to us, we start moving inward, which is the opposite of the way God moves. Real quick, Galatians 6, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, Bear each other's burdens. We can listen and comfort each other, and I am very for that. Like, I'm a listener. I will sit with you. I will listen and listen. I love to hear what's going on. I know that the longer a buddy talks, the more I can hear what's going on in his heart. I enjoy that. I enjoy offering comfort, words of comfort and peace. But I think laying down niceness is often like going to surgery, We need people to say to us, if you don't change this, it's going to change you and not reject it. I need to be willing to say to friends and to brothers, hey, if you don't change this, it's going to change you. Tim Keller tells a story about a kid that he grew up with, that his shoulder was always coming out of joint every time they would hang out and play. 
And this kid's shoulder came out of joint one time, and the kid just starts screaming and yelling, and his dad hears him, runs out, and he's popping the shoulder back into joint. The kid starts screaming even louder, and as soon as it goes back into place, the kid stops. Everything is fine. There is a kindness in popping someone's shoulder back into joint. There's a goodness about that. And to close this point, let me just say, if one friend comes to me, and says, hey, Charlie, if you don't change this, it's going to change you. I will say, hey, man, I'm going to listen to that. I hear you. I'm going to take that to some friends. I'm going to pray, whatever. If a second friend comes, whether they come together or separately, if he says the same thing, I'm going to be like, whoa, I'm really listening. Thank you. Thank you for saying this to me. I'm praying. I'm listening to you guys. If a third friend comes to me and they are saying the exact same thing, whether they come to me separately or all together, I will get on my knee and I'll surrender to that community of Jesus and I'll say, yeah, I need that faithful wound. If three men come to you and say, hey, this could be happening, man, you, you should listen. Which is just a reason to not ever walk by yourself. All right, number three. Watch over your domains with godly ambition. Kevin talked briefly about this last night, just in terms of like what Jordan Peterson says, hey, make your bed, clean out your car. If your bedroom's messy and your car is messy, there's an alert going off. You need to be able to take care of those domains. If you're in here and you're 12, 15, 20, your parents aren't telling you to clean up your room just because they're mean. They're trying to train you into learning how to take care of a job and and life. But we got to do this with godly ambition. Now, ambition is a strong desire to achieve something. That's powerful all by itself. But godly ambition is a strong desire to achieve something, but it's for the glory of God. That should drive us. Godly ambition to care and tend to what God has given us is gravitas. Like to really like desire, like I want to take care of these things. I want to go for it. We have to stop looking away and burying our head, and that is really easy to do in this day and age. But there's a lot to take care of. And if God's given you two things, be taking care of those things with godly, godly ambition. Don't bury your head in the sands. Proverbs 24 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Our souls and our lives are fields, they're vineyards. We gotta cultivate them, we gotta watch over them, we gotta take responsibility for them to watch over your sin, to watch over your work, to watch over your marriages, guys. Don't close your eyes to your marriages because it gets hard and the conversation gets intense. Don't close your eyes to your family, to your promises, the things that you said yes to, the things that you said no to. We've got to watch over those places. And things own us if we don't own them. Everything in this life is trying to colonize, everything in this life is trying to colonize our human attention puts our head in the sand. Consumerism, passivity, pornography, all kinds of numbness are happening in this room right now. 
And we have to bind passivity. We have to ban pornography, cut consumerism from your life. They short-circuit your heart and your purpose. Listen, guys, everything is moving toward chaos. That's just what it naturally does. But we have to be watchful over everything God has given us with some godly ambition. Pull it in the opposite direction. Watch over your heart. It's the wellspring of life. I know it's also deceptive, but watch over your heart. It's the wellspring of life, and the enemy wants to separate your heart from you. Watch over it. Watch over your pursuit of Jesus. Watch over your wife. Watch over your kids. Watch over your vocation. Care for the church and the world. And the last thing I'll say here is watch over your physical body. Maybe make a return to like just caring about what you eat, how you take care of yourself, your exercise, your mind, your mental capacity. This case right here carries the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Take action, make a plan. Number four, behold the face of God and own your story at the same time. So here's what's happened to me in my 30s was I knew how to behold the face of God. I knew how to own my story. I would always do those separate. It wouldn't be crazy for me to stand and worship and open my heart to the word of God and then get home to my real life and feel like my story, my life has fallen apart. You don't want to put your story on one side and Jesus on the other. You want to bring your story in the light of the face of God. This is what gives you some gravitas. Our stories are broken, and when they are left untouched, it leaves us in shame and an identity crisis. Have you ever lived like a little portions of your life where you just felt so much shame that it made your head go down every time you were around someone else? You didn't know how to talk. You didn't know how to be. It took me a year to say, I'm a divorced man. I would always say it like, I'm unmarried, or I'd find other, you know, cool, fresh ways to say it. But my story was, I'm a divorced man. It left me in shame. It kept my head down. And we need to be devoted to word, prayer, devotion, honing our desires to Jesus, all while we're facing the reality of our story and bringing it under the face of Jesus. When we look on Jesus, it changes our heart. When we own our broken story, it changes our heart. Doing that together changes everything. Just a summary of 2 Corinthians 3.18, behold the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord, you're being transformed. Hey, transformation in Jesus, man, that's the number one thing to go for in this life. It's gonna be the greatest gift to you, to the world around you, to your family, for you to keep pursuing Jesus, but also just keep bringing your story into the midst of it. And before I get to this last point, I just wanna say, there's something about a refresh of consecration and holiness that we need to be awake to in the fear of God, that we would learn again afresh to consecrate our lives our homes, our families, under the face of God. And I've never rejected holiness, but I, I grew up in a way where it was like, asked of me, requested of me, come be holy. And so eventually I just thought, oh, 
they just want me to be religious and like do the right things. And so I didn't understand what was behind it. But consecrating your lives for the story and glory of Jesus, powerful. Love Jesus, know your story, take sin seriously, quit negotiating with your convictions, and grow and grow and grow, lay yourself down. Number five, I'll make this quick. Make much of God and live a life of mission. Now, I I title it that, and the more I read those titles, I believe in them. There's something that I've heard over and over in my life, and so they were easy to write out. But the revelation for me is this. When I started realizing that everything from the beginning, even before the beginning, that God's whole person, his whole being, cascades out. It gives itself. It offers itself. It lays itself down. It rushes over. It rushes through. When I started realizing that was who God was, that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. When I started meditating on that, I started really seeing all the places that I am inward. Even in the last week, I can see the places that I turn inward. Those inward places are the opposite of God. And guys, I wanna say to you, have a life, start to live a life that cascades out that gives itself, that lays itself down, that offers itself. Making life about you is the opposite of the ways of God. And this world's whole message is make this life about you. And that is not, that is not our God. That is not our Father. That is not Jesus the Son. It's not how the Spirit of God works. Read Isaiah 58 about the true fast later. But what I want to offer you in this is just learn to edit your life a little bit where it's got some space to give yourself away. It's good to stay out of debt, but one really good reason to stay out of debt is so that you have space to give your life away. To get rid of unneeded busyness. Guys, we're entrusted with the master's talents and we need to offer our lives. We need men whose heartbeat is not to us, but to your name be the glory, and my Father's will is my bread. That's what I live on. Let me close like this, Hebrews eleven twenty one. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, remember Jacob, he wrestled with God. God touched his hip. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, Blessed each of the sons of Joseph. He bowed, he leaned on his staff, and he bowed, and he worshiped, and he left a blessing. That's a life of gravity. Like if I have a picture of my life, whether I make it to my 70s, my 80s, my 90s, how powerful it is to like lean on the very place that I wrestled with God, and he broke me, and I leaned on that place. And I lifted my hands over my sons and daughters and families. I lifted my hands over them. And I worshiped. And I left a blessing all while my eyes are closing into death. That's a man of gravity. That's a man of gravity.